0: Afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold, and the hour has arrived. I've been talking about Beth Guckenberger's brand new book called Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. This book will teach readers to draw up kind of a spiritual combat plan and be prepared to enter into the battles of everyday life and to live in the power and freedom God created for them. Beth is a author of 11 books including both adult and children's titles. She's very much an in-demand speaker. She's also co-executive director of Back-to-Back Ministries. She does that with her husband. Always glad to have her on the show. Hey, Beth. Hey,
1: thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about your book.
1: Thanks, I'm excited about having a good conversation about it.
0: Yeah, I am uh, glad you wrote it, and I think it's uh, an important um, conversation that we're having. And as much as I don't like talking about uh, what the enemy has designed for our life, I think it's important we, we, we get it out there.
1: Mm, I think so, too. I think my desire from the very beginning was to be as
0: plain spoken
1: as possible and just uh, expose him for all his shenanigans. And I think a lot of times we just, even though like a quarter of what Jesus talked about was about a world we cannot see, mm-hmm. that is that does not represent the kind of Airtime it gets really in our culture and in our in our churches.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, mental health and anxiety in the world today, and, mm-hmm. and talk about how the book Throw the First Punch has got something to say about that.
1: Yeah, you know what? I, really, the whole thing started because at the beginning of 2020, I, like everybody else, canceled my life at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic, and I um, I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there was a large church in my city who had a uh, lost their pastor, and it, they had been online one week because everybody, had, churches had gone online. And I had spoken a couple of times a year for the last decade of that church. And so the elders called and said, "Hey, would you be open to being an interim pastor for us while we kind of, in the middle of the beginning of this pandemic, do whatever we need to to find a long-term replacement?" And I'd never been a pastor before. I'm, I'm but we were all trying to do whatever it took and to, to try hard things and so I said yeah I'll I'll totally do that and I was about two weeks into that assignment speaking of mental health and anxiety hmm. and I was in this staff meeting and there were about 80 some staff there and I, I had an agenda because that's the leaders do when you go into a meeting you have an agenda and I like nothing was unfolding the way I had imagined it was going to unfold in that in that day so finally, I just pushed my agenda away. I'm like, hey, you know what, everyone? I am not the only one with an agenda in this room. We have an enemy, and he is—he has his own agenda to disrupt God's kids and God's work and God's house. So, like, let's use our imagination. What do we think is written on his agenda? And one brave person spoke up and said, mm, I think he'd want us not to trust you. So I rolled over this whiteboard, and I wrote, distrust. And then this other guy goes, I think he'd want us to be so afraid of what's going on that we'd be selfish. And I wrote fear and selfishness. And finally, we eventually populated that board full of things like anxiety and fear and uncertainty and anger and all the the things. And I said to them, he doesn't have any new tricks. Like everything he is capable of doing, we've already seen by now. Mm -hmm. And so my Bible tells me to put on the armor of God. And it tells me in Ephesians six, and it tells me in First Peter that the enemy's like a lion, and he's roaring around and he's trying to get me. But the problem is, when I sew those two things together, I think I got to put my armor on and wait for the the lion to come get me, and that makes me feel like I'm on defense. What I like to do, if I already know what he's going to do, because he doesn't have any new tricks, like I'd I like to go punch him first. And in that moment, and um, that that initial conversation, we started to talk about we are not victims of some of this some of the enemy activity we are supposed to be more than conquerors we're supposed to have power of god in us so why don't we actually take back ground the enemy has taken from us maybe that's in our headspace maybe that's in our relationships maybe that's in our churches but i'm instead of just holding back the gate and hoping he doesn't get in any room i actually want to go take and storm his gates and take back his ground. And that that's the beginning of the story of when I began to figure out what is the relationship between what happens inside of me and what happens as a result of the enemy's attack.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Beth, to talk about how we can anticipate some of these uh, attacks that w- would come from the enemy, I mean, spiritually, emotionally, and physically.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we all have our own spiritual Achilles heel. Genesis 4 talked about how We all have sin crouching at our door, and we have two choices. We can either master it or it'll master us. And the sin that's crouching at my door, my spiritual Achilles heels, might be different than yours or might be different than our listeners. But we've put on display what our weaknesses are. Uh, The people closest to us know, and certainly the enemy watching knows what our weaknesses are. And so I think what we can anticipate is He's not He's not creative, he's not trying to get us in new places. He's going to attack us in the very places where he's had success before, where he's crippled us before. So if I already know what it, where it is that he's gonna attack, now I, I can start to form strategies about what it looks like to shore up my weaknesses or get accountability for my weaknesses, or think ahead when I might be facing a, a situation, a circumstance where I have temptation. And, that, and now we can start getting spiritual momentum and not just, you know, do our very best to stand strong in the midst of a day when all kinds of things can come against
0: us. Mm-hmm. So I like I love the idea of throwing the first punch or just being preemptively getting ready to fight against the strategies of the enemy. I think when you... Uh, are injured at a young age. Maybe there is a, something traumatic that goes on. There's a place mm-hmm. where there's a vulnerability. I mean, Satan can it can go back and exploit that, and it can be something you live with for a long time.
1: Absolutely, you're exactly right. And what can happen? I mean, we know the biblical promises that He can use all things for our good, and that in our weakness He's made strong. I mean, there's a lot of verses. Particularly, as you were saying earlier about anxiety, about our heads, right? Like, set your mind on things above, and taking thoughts captive, and renewing our thinking. And I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of power actually in understanding what the Bible tells us—it's true—and then holding them to it. And one during the last couple of years, as I've been really studying spiritual warfare, as if I didn't know anything about it, I certainly have absorbed teachings and lessons and experiences over the last 40 years I've walked with Christ, but I, the last couple of years I just tr- tried to, like, clear the slate and say, like, what literally does the Bible tell me about it? And what, what can I see happen? And I, I think one of the best tools we have is confession, because when I sin, like, let's just say I lie to someone if I sin, it, and I mm, justify my choice or I cover up my choice, anything other than confess my choice then over time I've shown the enemy and anybody else who's paying attention that that's a place that you can get me. And if I don't do the spiritual spring cleaning necessary, then suddenly that sinful act gets developed a foothold in me. And that foothold, if I don't do anything about it, becomes a stronghold. And the stronghold, if I don't do anything about it, becomes part of my identity. And now instead of having lied, I'm actually a liar. Hmm. And that's, That's the trajectory the enemy wants to take us on. And so we can shortcut that whole thing if I, if I in real time have short accounts with the Lord over the things that I struggle with and the places where I, uh, I let the, I let that spirit, that spiritual Achilles heel get the best of me. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, in the book, I like, I, I've never been so vulnerable in writing, but I kept thinking to myself. I, I had a, a radio show on XM for a long time, and I was interviewing an author named Anne Lamott. Some of your author some of your listeners may recognize her name. She's way better author than I am. So I said, "Hey, listen, like, forget everyone else listening to me. What what, what kind of advice do you have for me?" And she said, uh, "That's easy. Just write something you would be delighted to stumble upon." And so when I was writing this book, I kept telling myself, "That's the bar. Write." Something you would be delighted to stumble upon, like somebody finally said that, and you've been waiting for someone to be honest about that, and that was that was what I kept using as a filter as I told stories and shared teachings around what we what we can't see but we know is out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Beth, it seems that often in today's world we're we're taught to. Or we are encouraged to look for what God can do for us, or how God can help us. And there's nothing entirely wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But we can't look at it in a in a consumer sort of way. And I think there was a time when you would see God's word, you would know God's word, and then you you would you would be able to make decisions based on what you saw in in the in the society or in culture. And nowadays it seems like people see what they 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 look at what is in culture, and then they measure it against what they see in the Bible if they want to make a decision as to whether or not the Bible is true.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, a number of years ago, my husband and I, we adopted a a 12-year-old boy who had lived in an orphanage his whole life, hadn't really had a family experience. And about two months after we brought him home, uh, he was playing soccer in our American junior high. And I got this text from him. It was a kid. I I didn't know who it was. And it just said, Tyler left his soccer shoes at home. Can you bring him up to school? So I left work and went home and I saw him by the door and I picked him up and drove them to an athletic study hall he was having after school before a game he had that night. I walked in the study hall and as soon as he saw me, he was like, it worked. And I said, "What well, it worked. He's like, I just told my team I couldn't play tonight because I forgot my shoes. And one of the players was like, don't you have a mom? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, tell your mom. She'll bring your shoes to you. He's like, I didn't know that's how that works, and I'm like, oh, it definitely is how this works. So I, I bring lunch and homework and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And he had all the privileges of being my kid, but he didn't. Ha- he didn't understand what those privileges were. He didn't understand the rights he had as my child. And he 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 spent, you know, he spent ever since then learning what that means. And I think in the same way we have we are we become children of god but we don't actually understand all the rights that come with that all the privileges that come with that and that's i re, i love the plagues i was say i got a bit of a bible crutch on on moses and i was studying the plagues and one of the plagues is exodus 10 the plague of darkness and it says that darkness fell so thick on the land that you could feel it but everywhere that god's kids went light was among them and i remember thinking Man, especially in the start of 2020 when it felt like darkness was really thick. There was fear, even in the grocery store. And I kept thinking, but I have the right and privilege as a child of God to take light with me wherever I go. So if the enemy wants to try to infiltrate my marriage or infiltrate my thinking or infiltrate my household, I just get to tell him, and actually, not here. You don't have any authority here, darkness. You have to leave us because we're God's kids and with God's kids means there's always
0: the presence of light so good Beth Guckenberger is my guest her book is Throw the First Punch defeating the enemy hell, Belt, hell on destruction and I think we've got uh, three copies to give away if you want to get in on the drawing to get one of three copies just text the word book to 877 933 2484 again text the word book 877 933 2484 be right back with Beth in just a minute Welcome back to the show. My guest is Beth Guckenberger. She has written a book called Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. Beth, I know I've asked you this before, but what was your maiden name? Uh, Ewing. My maiden name was Ewing. Like E-W-I-N-G? Uh, exactly. I always say he was a cute boy at the right time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to go from Ewing to Guckenberger, that's quite a jump. So, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, in your book, you talk about uh, Jesus being the star of the story, and you learn something uh, that I I know you I'd love for you to share that will inspire us
1: yeah I mean the, the truth is there's kind of a shock and awe story at the beginning of the book that I um I I didn't tell anyone for over a decade after it happened I just I didn't really even have room in my theology for something like I'm about to share with your listeners but Uh, My husband and I lived, uh, we lived 15 years in Mexico. We've been missionaries um, with orphaned and vulnerable children for a long time. And we were developing a piece of property for what would eventually become foster homes, um, as group homes, basically, for teenagers who were coming out of children's homes. And we were hoping to disciple and enter into college. And it was kind of a creepy property, if I could just say it. It Like, it was like and and there was clearly warfare going on like building permits not going through and construction machines breaking down and we were having like i mean workers getting sick it just it was a mess as we were just pushing forward on what we thought was God's plan for us um to use that property for his glory and uh one day we had about 80 high school kids that came on a mission trip for spring break from Oklahoma. And we were having a time of worship and it was in a part of the property that was already developed. And we had fenced off the part they couldn't go into because of construction. And there was a worship that was going on. It was unbelievable. And kids were confessing their sin and worshiping. It was great night And I was standing at the back of that gathering, and I saw a boy and a girl leave it, and they went into a part of the property that they knew they weren't allowed to, and I just assumed that they were looking for a little privacy for whatever they were going to do. And I knew I needed to go over to that part of the property and shoo them back with everybody else. But I didn't like going over there, not even in the daylight, let alone at night, because it it just felt dark over there. So I grabbed this a student that was with me, an intern, and I said, Let's go over there and get them back over here. And we walked over to that part of the property, and there was an old warehouse, and it didn't have any doors in it. So I just stood in the entrance of it to let my eyes kind of adjust to the, to the moonlight to see in which dark corner had this couple found themselves. And as soon as I stood in there, all of a sudden I saw, I literally saw something on the other side of the warehouse. And I, I knew right away. Was like supernatural, and I I didn't have any words. I just was like, "Oh my Jesus!" And I wasn't using Jesus as a profanity. I was literally like, like using him as like his name. And as soon as I said Jesus, this thing kind of bent over and scurried away like a like a gargoyle. And I forgot those kids were in there probably kissing. I forgot the student I'd brought over there with me. I, I just turned around and ran as fast as I could back to my house. And it was almost midnight at this point, and I called my mom. She she lived in Ohio. I, she like knows her Bible better than anyone I've ever met. And I woke her up in the middle of the night, and I was like talking like she was the nine one one operator. And I was like, can, can, like can I just saw something? Are we can we see something? Is this in our Bibles? Like is this like I, I was I was like in total like panic mode. And she read me a verse out of jo- the Book of Job, chapter four, fifteen. It said, "A spirit glided past." my arm and the hair stood on ends. And she said, we know that, that there is uh, an angelic force beyond what our eye can see. And for some reason, God decided to give you a very thin space where you could see something that we we normally don't. But uh, I, I I think our Bible tells us it's real. And if you saw it, it's for some purpose. And I'm embarrassed to admit really to your listeners that the next day we were doing a construction project over there and this boy and girl, a boy and girl refused to go over there to do the project. And I realized I had identified the two people that were sneaking over there and they tried to talk to me about what they had seen. And I wasn't ready to process it. And I I told them I didn't know what they were talking about and get over there and do your work project. And I only told my closest friends for a little while, but it started me on this, Pathway of like, what in the world is going on and what kind of access does it have to us? And uh, um, there's a story in Exodus 8 where Pharaoh's talking to his magicians during the plagues, and he says to the magicians, Could you guys come up with a plague as cool as the plagues that the God of Moses is doing? Because I'd like our people to know that our gods are as strong and powerful as the God of Moses. And those magicians come back to Pharaoh and say, all of our power combined doesn't compare to the power that's found in the finger of their God. And I, I just kept thinking about if, if there's that kind of power in the person of God, and he's left this deposit in us called the Holy Spirit, and then that kind of power I have access to, how can I use that power to protect my family, to, to not be afraid, to battle against my own sin? to advance the kingdom of light? Like, those are the questions that I, I just was like, and why is the Church not talking about this kind of thing? Because because it's real. And so, anyway, I appreciate you having uh, the conversation today, because I, I do think it's something we need to talk about.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Beth Guckenberger is my guest. Beth, so God wants us free, so we are in His will when we ask for release from evil. Would you say more about that?
1: Yeah, I do think we're in, I think that, um, I do think that, I think that there's all kinds of tools we have in our spiritual tool belt, and some of them, you know, might be really familiar, like we have scripture and the power of scripture, and Jesus put that on display in the wilderness when he was tempted. That's one of the ways that we can fight against evil is by using God's word against evil. Another one is prayer. Another one is fasting. Another one is worship. Another one is confession and just familiarizing ourselves as believers with all of the tools that we have in our tool belt so that w- when we find ourselves pressing up against um opposition it, i mean it can be as simple as like even even as simple as like in our marriages i i have to say to, like this is as practical as I, as I can go like uh i studied i was studying one time in israel and we were in like an, an old ruin of a um, gladiator arena and everything I ever learned about gladiators, I learned from Russell Crowe in that mm-hmm. movie. I mean, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know anything about gladiators. and But they're kind of like track events and they have various sporting um, events within a gladiator game. And one of the most popular sp- events was they would chain two gladiators together and they would release a lion or some kind of beast against the two gladiators. And if they could work together, they'd defeat the animal every time. But if, if for some reason they couldn't work together, they were, didn't trust each other or they were playing to the crowd or whatever, then the animal won every time. That was the sport. And Paul knew that. That's why a couple of different times in his letters, he would talk about us being chained together. He was referencing that kind of idea. And so in in life, I I am in this 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 world chained for lack of better words with my husband, and there's an enemy, and his desire is to destroy our marriage, because in our marriage we put on display this crazy mystery that two people can become one, and 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 so like when I think about uh, if if I'm like you know about to get in some kind of conflict with my husband because. Either I don't like what his sin's putting on display or my own sin's getting the best of me, but we're having some kind of clash. In that very moment, if I can say to myself, as much as I want to win against my husband in this fight, I actually want to work with him against the enemy instead of against him inadvertently
0: for the enemy. Yeah, it's an important topic, Beth. If I go about my day oblivious to what the enemy is doing, I am no threat. If I choose comfort over conflict, I am not advancing anything other than my own agenda. When we work together with each other, he, when we work against each other, he wins. But when we fight together, he doesn't stand a chance. I love that. That's uh, from Beth Guckenberger's book, Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have lots more with Beth. My guest today is Beth Guckenberger. She's written a book called Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. It helps us to uh, draw up a spiritual combat plan and we're better prepared to enter into the battles of everyday life. You know, there's a lot of those and to live in the power and freedom that God created for us. So um, right before we went to break, Beth, you were talking about your uh, strength you have when you stand side by side with your husband. and You can take on the enemy. You can fight together. There's probably many people listening to to today that are thinking, well, I'm not on that same page with my spouse or he's not willing to, um, listen to me or to do this together. Then we got, then we got some problems.
1: Yeah. Uh, to those listeners, I just, um, and I want to empathize with you because that's a really, can be a really lonely place to be. And so just acknowledging that, that, um, I understand that's a battle in and of itself. I think, I think probably what I'd say it's, you know, what I was saying before about lying, like you can have a sin action, like just any old sin action. And if you leave that unchecked, it grows into a foothold and a stronghold, and then becomes part of the identity. And the, the longer that goes down, the the harder it can feel like to dismantle. And we can build up all kinds of walls in our marriages or any of our most intimate relationships, parent, child, um, sibling, you know, even best friends, we can allow all kinds of um, heartache to to erect walls between us and keep us from being vulnerable with each other. First John three, I've always liked, I've I've always liked that verse. It says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Like it's actually God's desire to, Break down those walls to destroy what the devil's trying to build and work between you and the people that are important to you. And part of our um, maturation, our sanctification, is agreeing that those don't belong there, and offering our willingness as much as we, as much as we are responsible for, to participate in and breaking down those walls. And so, um, you were saying as we were coming out of the break um, about combat. I was trying to think of like. What would be a good acronym that could we could practice it so much it would feel like muscle memory? Because one of the the devil's tricks is he you know strikes and then we feel shame about even the state of our marriages or the state of my 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 frame of mind or like we we do we do something or we're we're just and you just want to hide in the darkness like you don't want anyone to know the reality of how bad things are either inside your own faith life or inside your household and inside of that darkness you know shame creates stasis like we don't we don't even want to move i don't even know what to do next and so for anyone who's listening who feels that way like i just don't know what to do next that acronym combat um the c stands for confess like i was saying in the first half hour i think confession is one of our principal tools in this battle just acknowledging where i have a sense of responsibility and where I have fallen short and where I need to understand God's grace and where I need to know that there's therefore now no condemnation, where I need cleansed from the unrighteous, like confesses to see. The, the O oh, is really um, an important part of the process. It's observing his methods. Like what's he trying to do right now? Like and, and he's he's got all kinds he has got all kinds of things he wants to have happen. Like he ultimately wants me to feel things like afraid, discouraged, isolated. Too weary to fight back, judgmental, uh, anxious, confused, distracted with pleasure. Like, he's he's got all kinds of things he wants us to do. So the O is, like, what is his strategy right now? What literally is on his agenda? And then M in combat is, let's measure the impact. Because what the enemy loves to do is take a bullet we give him and then make as much damage as possible. So, like... If, for example, I lose my patience with my child and, I'm, you know, I'm sinning. like I I said something I shouldn't have, I, I wasn't patient enough, whatever, that, that bullet not only impacts my child that I have lost my cool with, but maybe another child that's watching, maybe my child, you know, goes and tells one of his friends about, I can't believe my, my mom did this, or later that night I tell my husband what I did and he's either defensive for me or he's angry at our child you know i mean he this is what the enemy does he wants to he wants as big of a blast zone as he can possibly get so we have to measure what where all has the shrapnel gone because if we if we aren't paying attention to that kind of thing then he starts to get um the opportunity to create these like little fissures, these like little breaks ruptures in our relationships so C, confess your sin, O, observe his method, M, measure the impact, B, believe the truth. Like, that's all that stuff in our head. Get our minds set in the right place. Understand what actually is true, not believe the lies. A is about aiming your fist. Like, where are you going to hit back? How are you going to proactively uh, attack the enemy instead of just defensively protect yourself? And then T is throw the first punch. And i was on a walk with my husband todd um, we were trying to plan a place to go uh, away for a few days ourselves i did that pastor role for about eight months and at the end of that eight months i was promising him when this is over you and i are going away alone for a few days we went on this walk and i mean we're completely different people so hundred steps into the walk we were talking about what we were gonna do. We had different ideas where to go, different ideas about how long to be gone, different ideas about how much money to spend, different ideas about who was staying with the kids. And as we were trying to convince the other one, we had a rupture in that walk in our relationship. And I'm thinking to myself a mile in, I don't wanna go anywhere with you. Like I have fun on your vacation. I'm not doing that, you know. Because We're sinful, we're all sinful beings as we walk around. And after a few minutes in silence, my husband looked at me and he said, what do you think the enemy wants to have happen here? He does not want us to go away and reconnect and refresh. He doesn't want us to rest in any way. He understands rest is one of the tools we have in our tool belt. Rest actually is one of our best weapons. It's how how we gain strength. He didn't want any of those things to happen. So right now, he's winning. And as much as I wanted to beat Todd in, in my ideas and my plans, I actually wanted to work with him to defeat the enemy more than I wanted to beat him and satisfy my own selfish desires. And so I think sometimes it's just about lifting your eyes like above your circumstances and realizing all that's at stake.
0: That's a strong, strong story. I'm just curious, how many days were you gone?
1: I was about to say, and we enjoyed a lovely week in vacation in uh, Florida. So all oh, nice.
0: Well. And did that. you overspend or underspend?
1: <laughs> I think we spent just right. <laughs> Perfect.
0: <Hi>. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So Beth, uh, Beth Guckenberger's book is called Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. We've got three copies to give out, so if you want to jump in on the drawing, text the word BOOK to 877 Um, Speak to this wonderful passage in Ephesians 6, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms.
1: Hmm. You know, I think uh, when I think about the armor of God, that's about the one passage in our Bibles we teach our kids about, when you, you know, if you were to do a resource search or a Google search on kids and spiritual warfare, it's almost always going to take you to that particular mm-hmm. passage. And I, I just think um, we do, you know, people say, I don't want to tell my kids about, you know, evil because I don't want to scare them. But uh, evil knows about them. <laughs> I mean, that's the work that I do is with children. That's my day job. And the enemy's not waiting for a certain age in order to attack them. He, he, he begins the attack from the very moment that they appear on the scene. And there's a great passage in Psalm chapter 8, where it talks about the praise of even infants has the power to shut Satan's mouth, it says. And we have to teach our kids at an early age that there are those evil forces out there. And God has given us things to protect ourselves, our heads, our, our hearts, our feet, um, that, that shield and sword. And and w- the more we can equip children, when I think about um, some of the anxiety and some of the statistics coming out of COVID about, I just saw the other day, 85% of teens c- consider themselves a- as having been bullied at some point. Uh, when you think about the kind of screen time they're getting, that right now you're more likely to die of suicide as a child than you are of any other disease. I mean, th- these are really hard statistics. And... The enemy loves to hurt children, and we've got to teach kids about that passage in Ephesians 6 and other passages so that they feel equipped and strong when the enemy comes for them.
0: Mm-hmm. In chapter 7, you talk about pride, and this is you say this is what pride does. It tries to elevate us to the level of God as if what we have been given makes us like Him.
1: Yeah, the good news is the enemy often overplays his hand. And uh, when we begin to feel full of self and all the words, self-centered, self-righteous, self-pity, self, any self you can come up with. And when we begin to think about ourselves more than we think about him, when we begin to take credit for things, um, when we obsess about self, uh, when we need to satisfy ourselves, like any, anything about self, then things start to fall apart. And if we can be in tune to uh the signs that things are starting to fall apart, it's real it's actually it's a pretty quick fix because you just gotta confess all that sense of self, put God back in his rightful place, and recognize if anybody gets any credit around here, it's him, and one of the prayers that I do as I'm trying to get a short get an off ramp off the pride train if I'm mm-hmm. finding myself feeling prideful is I ask God for some kind of assignment that's outsized me. Like, ask me to do something, to Lord, that's bigger than what I'm capable of on myself. Like, I need more wisdom or mercy or patience or self-control or joy or whatever. Like, give it to me. Something that I can't do on my own. And stepping up to that plate, recognizing what He wants to give me to accomplish what He's asked of me, that's a really, like, a shortcut um, out of that
0: trap of pride. Oh, that's Such a good answer. Beth, I know in Chapter 8, you talk about isolation, and that goes right back to the Garden of Eden. And today, the attacks are a little bit more sophisticated, but we do live in a world filled with a lot of people who are suffering from various degrees of loneliness.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, with some of the stats coming out of COVID, you know, more than 50% of Americans feel like nobody knows them really well. Um, there's a psychiatrist I like a lot his his uh, teaching Dr. Kurt Thompson. And he has a quote that every child is born into the world, looking for someone looking for them and they never stop. So no matter if we consider our childhood a long time ago in our rear view mirror, or we are still in that state, like we're looking for people looking for us. <laughs> like we don't want to be isolated. We were made literally for community and uh, that has always been God's design that inside of community, inside of those kind of significant relationships, we have the ability to strengthen each other. You know, that's where the iron gets to sharpen the iron. That's where we get to hold each other accountable. That's where we get to share hard things. Uh, that's where we face consequences to our sins together. That's where we celebrate victories together. That's where we get chained together with other gladiators against that animal released against us. Um, Community is another uh, really powerful step we can take in building our offensive
0: strategies. Mm, So good. Beth Guckenberger is my guest. Her book is Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy, Hellbent on Your Destruction. Three copies are available as gifts, and we can uh, get you in the drawing. All you do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Lots more with Beth in just a minute. Our book is Throw the First Punch. I've got three copies to give out. If you'd like to get it in on that drawing, 877 933 2484. All you do is text the word book. No quotations, no nothing. Just be OK. Just text the word book, 877 933 2484. You'll get in on the drawing to win one. All right, Beth, uh, in chapter nine of your book, I thought this was kind of, I'm not saving the best for last, but this is where it gets very interesting when you talk about nothing points to a supernatural God faster than someone sacrificing for the needs of other. All mm. that me focus hurts the relationships in my life, whether things crash in a conflict, leaving me feeling caught in my sin and forced to apologize or defend, or an internal conviction, I need God to be my healer. Those meaningful relationships are like kryptonite to my selfishness. Mm. I love the Superman reference. <laughs>
1: yeah, I you know, back to what we were saying before the break, I think community is in relationships. Meaningful relationships are really important. Um, I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I was a missionary living on the field and uh, we had just gotten a brand new Honda Odyssey minivan. And I pulled into our ministry campus and somebody walked up and made some snarky comment about, I hope I can grow up and be a missionary so I can drive a new car. And I started to open my mouth to explain where the car came from, but, uh, one of our mentors was with me, and he put his hand on my arm. And he said, hey, you, you don't owe him any explanation. Just tell him something that's true. And I said, uh, Jesus is the giver of all good gifts. And the guy walked away, and he had he landed the the snarky comment he had set out to, to give. And this friend of ours wrote on a napkin for me this picture, like drew a picture of a house. And he put a front porch on it and drew a yard, and then he stuck it in a neighborhood. He said, all of our relationships fall in one of four categories. They're either people in our house. People on our metaphorical front porch, people in our yards or people in our neighborhood. And he's like, where's that guy live? I'm like, well, he's in our neighborhood. I don't even know his name. And he's like, well, you don't need to tell him where your car came from. If somebody in your house asks you where the car came from, you, you need to tell them. That's called a testimony. And if somebody on the front porch asks you where your car came from, you should tell them. It's called accountability. But if somebody in your yard neighborhood asks you about your car, you, you don't have to give them that answer. And I think social media has done a number on us because suddenly people in our yards and neighborhoods know the kinds of information that used to be just for people in our houses, in our front porches. And we're, we're kind of leveling the playing field. But I, I do think it's really critical that we have people that know us and know us well so that um, they, they can walk along with us in this world of, of sanctification and That same uh, son that I was saying earlier that we adopted when he was 12, the first week of school, his language arts teacher assigned to him a heritage project where he was supposed to bring in a poster board full of pictures of his childhood. And we don't have any pictures of his childhood. He was an orphan in an orphanage. So he came home that day like, oh, my gosh, I have to tell my whole seventh grade class about my childhood. And it's the first day of school. I wasn't planning on it. And I drew him a picture of a house with a front porch and a yard in a neighborhood. And I said, "Listen, your seventh-grade friends—they're in the yard. I hope a couple of them come up on our front porch. But right now, they're all in the yard. So, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna Google cute Hispanic baby, and we're gonna print those pictures out on paper. <laughs> and but like, we're not—we're not gonna put any of those in a frame for Grandma because she's on the front porch. But we need to remember: we don't have to give like the sacredness of our stories, the the parts of our hearts that that need." tended to, the stories that need held, we need to find people who hold those stories with us, who will listen. You know, in the work that we do uh, at Back to Back in trauma, we have learned that as our brains get damaged in traumatic experiences and traumatic relationships, God designed those brains to heal. And one of the ways that he designed those brains to heal is through being heard, through being listened to. And so I think that listening to, that healing activity happens in community. and It's just a powerful part of our strategy in spiritual warfare.
0: We are dying to be heard, aren't we? Yeah. I, I sometimes think when a person goes and sees a counselor and they tell their story and the counselor says, I hear you, they go, finally, someone yeah. heard me. What yeah. they want to be is heard. Yeah. Listen to.
1: Yeah, very much so. And what the enemy wants to do is divide us because we're not strong when we're divided. And if if I'm having a bad day and I don't have anyone to to encourage me, to pray for me, to strength you know, to, to to cover for me, then I'm pretty much out there alone and vulnerable to attack. And so again, community is just it's just a another one of the tools in the kill well, but it's not one to be ignored. It's powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Beth Guckenberger is my guest. Her book is Throw the First Punch. I have three copies available to give out. All you have to do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Beth, in chapter 10 of your book, you talk about it as Christ's followers. We are uh, to put God on display, and when and when we do, no matter what Satan intends, God will use it for good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Todd and I, among some of the children that we adopted, we also adopted a, an older woman she was kind of like our Mexican grandma. She had been an orphan and then sold into slavery and a child bride. And eventually, by the time we met her, she didn't have she didn't have community. She was pretty much alone. So we enveloped her and adopted her into our family. And she lived with us more than 20 years. And uh the year of COVID, she she when we moved back to the United States, she would spend six months of the year here with us and six months in Mexico. And I called her and she had a cough that I didn't feel comfortable with, so I brought her to the United States a little bit early to receive medical care. And she was diagnosed with a disease called Valley Fever. And in that disease, uh, she was a hospitalized many times for treatment. And one during the third hospitalization, this, this physician came to me and said, Beth, I know we've been battling for, her name with May, We've been battling for May's life, but we're losing. And I feel like you need to tell her. Um, and prepare her I don't know how much longer she has But it won't be too much longer So she was pretty much illiterate She got her theology Through radio shows Through audio Bibles Through worship songs and Just through her ear She would absorb God's truth And I told her She loved to sing And I said You're going to be singing on streets of gold Sooner than we were planning on it And she told me uh, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved And the next day when she woke up at the hospital, they asked her questions to test her mental fitness, like, you know, what's your name and what year is it and who's the president? She did okay on Wednesday, struggled some on Thursday. And on Friday when she woke up, she didn't know my name and she didn't know her name. And the doctors just said it it won't be much longer. And so I crawled up on the bottom of her bed. She was about four foot ten, so there was plenty of room down there. And I just started to sing to her her favorite Mexican worship song. Uh, It's like an old hymn, and I didn't didn't even know she could hear me, but it was making me feel better, and I sang the whole first verse, and then I got to the chorus, and she opened up her mouth and sang every single word of that chorus with me. I looked over at my husband, and I said, where in the world does worship go inside of us, that when we don't even remember our own names, we we can't forget his? Wow. And I think the enemy in in those moments, He wanted to rob and steal and kill and destroy all kinds of things from us, our peace, our joy, our, and God was like, you know, even in this moment, I'm going to minister to her. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to minister to all the medical professionals that are watching. And when she went home to be with Jesus that day, I had total sense of confidence and peace that she knew exactly who she was going to. And I think even in the most tragic of moments, which is loss of life, uh, and the enemy's trying to get his, you know measure that impact, the M of combat. He's trying to spew that shrapnel in every direction he can, even in that kind of storyline, um, God can can use things for his
0: guidance. So good, Beth, we just have a, about a minute left. I just would love for you to say the what was maybe one of the most important things you would like people to uh, not miss from "Throw the first punch" your book.
1: Yeah, I certainly don't want to give the enemy any undue or over attention. Mm-hmm. So that's the risk we, we run when we focus on him for a minute. I just want you to look at him long enough so you can punch him, right. and mm-hmm. uh, not not be afraid of what it is um, and the power that God has given you to battle in this world.
0: So good, Beth. Your stories are amazing, and I, I just you have such an authentic uh, faith and walk, and it's really quite inspiring. Thank you for mm-hmm. doing the show today. You're welcome. You know, you know, I having like me. having you on.
1: I like being here, so oh, that's a
0: good combination. Good, good. And your uh, fancy Honda Odyssey and all that. And, you know, as a as a host of a Christian radio show, I can't identify with you know that because I've got my car and driver waiting for me after the show here. So, it's. Uh, <laughs> thank you again. Have a great uh, great night. Thanks. Thanks for having you me. Bet. You bet. Get. Beth Guckenberger has been my guest. Her book, again, is called Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy Hellbent on Your Destruction. So glad to say I've got three copies that I can give out. And if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word BOOK. That's all. Just BOOK. No quotation marks. Don't include her book title. Just the four letters, B-O-O-K. And text that to 877-933-2484. And you will be in on the drawing. We'll give you a little form to fill out and you can uh, register to win one of her books. We've got three books and a bunch of um, people have already texted over. So jump in uh, soon. Text the word book. There is another one just popped up. Have a great night, everyone. I've loved being with you today and I'm excited for tomorrow. Have a good night.